Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to our time together, which I always do. I always look forward to it. I drive over to the studio and I go, I can hardly wait to be with my peeps. And I hope and pray that you have had a good week and that you have uh, learned something from the show this week. I know I certainly have. I'm still thinking about uh, John and Pam Bloom, some of the things they said yesterday in studio. And today uh, we're going to plow right ahead. Noel Heikinen is a... uh, uh, author and every time I pick up his book, I say to my producer, "We have to call Noel back because I've got more questions." <laughs> it's one of those books that every time you pick it up, you you hold on to it for a while and you underline. And you should see this book; I've got underlined everything. It's called "Wretched Saints: Transformed by the Relentless Grace of God." And then uh, in this show as well, we'll be talking to Dr. Michelle Watson. She's written a book called "Dad." Here's what I really need from you. It's a great book on understanding that the dad and daughter relationship. And that's going to be all ahead on the show. So let me take 60 seconds. And because I'm in an extremely happy Friday mood, I think it's uh, worth us listening to a little banjo music by Kristen Scott Benson. Take it away, Kristen. about our needs. So if your need today is emotional, he knows it perfectly. If it is physical, some form of healing, he knows all about it. If it is a financial need, he knows about that. Real truth, real hope. Faith Radio. The He Reads Truth Study Bible combines God's Word in the easy-to-read CSB translation with thoughtfully designed resources that make it easier to understand. Featuring timelines, charts, maps, multiple reading plans, and wide margins for note-taking, the He Reads Truth Study Bible will inspire men to spend daily time in the Scriptures, increase biblical literacy, and build a deeper relationship with God. We're giving away one He Reads Truth Study Bible each week this month. Enter to win at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to have Noel Heikinen back on the program. Noel's written a book called Wretched Saints, Transformed by the Relentless Grace of God. God's grace, he says, is not sanitized, sweet, or passive. It's gritty, gnarly, and invades the crustiest parts of your soul. So you know when I, when I pick this book up, I always kind of spend extra time with it. Noel, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you again, Bill, and thank you for the banjo music. Um, I, I'm a big fan, as I think you are as well, aren't you? 
And, you know, I uh, I grew up playing the violin, which some would say is the fiddle, uh, but I never liked country or bluegrass music. And I think it was just because as a child of the 80s, I was taught you weren't supposed to like those things. But if you don't <laughs> tell anyone in my city, I am growing more and more and more fond of both country and bluegrass. So just keep that a secret between us and, oh, and the I, other Midwest. I will. There. That is our little tiny secret. No, no, <laughs> no one will know about that one. Well, every time I pick up your book, I, I always want to talk to you more about it. So thank you for writing this book, and thank you for uh, talking about God's grace, because uh, it disrupts our lives, doesn't it? Uh, it certainly does. In fact, I was just uh, you know, reflecting as I was hearing your intro there about how and you and I have talked about this, I think it's almost like three times now, um, and how since I wrote this book a year or so ago, um, I just keep getting kind of punched in the gut by God's grace again and again, and um, just about how it's just so different than what our world experiences. And like, if, if you don't mind the story, I just, in July every year, I take a break from social media. I do a social media fast. And this year, I not just fasted from social media, but I also fasted from any news content because I was realizing the tone of the news in our culture was really doing some negative things in my soul. Um, and so I just didn't have any news consumption really for the month. And I came back and right at the beginning of August, I don't know if it's me, but in one month, it seems like the tone of our world became more graceless in just one month. And I came back the first week of August um, and I thought how desperately this world needs to experience the grace of God so deeply in their souls um, that it might affect their fingertips on Twitter. And I, I'm talking not just to the non-Christians, but the Christians, too. Well, no, I, I'm assuming your July was a very happy month for you. It was. You know, it's, it, it, I've, every year it's a little different. I've done this, God, I, 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 gosh, I think I've done this for like 10 years now or something. But ever since social media really started taking off and Every year it's different. And there's some years where I almost go into withdrawal, where I'm like, I just like the first couple of days, my hands are shaking because I, I can't get on social media. And this year it was just a, I needed it. The end of June, that last week, I was finding just, just, I don't know, a pervasive negativity settling into my spirit based on even my own interactions with people on social media. So it was a good month. It was a, a good month, but then coming right back, uh, just turning it on. The first weekend I was back were the two back-to-back -back shootings, really three back-to-back -back shootings. Um, and just uh, just how horrific that is. But then the immediate vitriol of people on every side toward each other online. I just, it was it was kind of a, kind of jarring come, stepping back into that space. There's it was a, a good month, that's what I was. Yeah, I, it, there's a lot of hatred, isn't there, that's exchanged. Well, yeah, it's, you know, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm struck more, I think, now than I was before about how much of that comes from the fingertips and the voices of Christians. And it's almost like in our passionate defense of truth, uh, we have lost the ability to do that in any sort of um, graceful way with people. And, um, that just uh, has been that's been striking to me, and just even just reading recently through First um, Peter three, which is you know that whole the whole book about um, uh, about living in a, in a culture that opposes you. Um, it 
the way he talks to people, he says, be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing for you were called for this. It was just, just even reading that coming back off of that month and thinking the only thing that allows you to do that is the grace of God, because you have given so much evil to God and he gives you grace and love and you give him insult and you give him all these things and he is sympathetic and loving and compassionate and humble to you. And it's only through the transformative power of the grace of God that you can extend that grace to others. Mm-hmm. So just, yeah, that's all the stuff that's rattling in my cage. None of that's of course in the book, but it's, all, uh-huh. it's, it's I'm still blown away by the grace of God. Yeah, as am I. And I think that's why your, your book, uh, I always end up picking it up off my desk because it's such a recurring theme. I long for God's grace, and then I have to check my, my own faulty sensors and because I, I don't want to be stuck believing a lie. Oh, exactly. It is so easy to not just, and maybe this is what I've been thinking uh, lately, is not just the lies that we believe about ourselves, which is really the faulty sensors that I, I tend to focus on. We just tend to think that, man, God doesn't really love me. Something is really wrong with me and all that. But I'm wondering more if there's also a whole set of faulty sensors uh, toward other people where we believe um, that not our, only are we uniquely sinful, but that guy over there is uniquely sinful. <laughs> like, like it's my job to fix that person and fix his attitude and fix his Twitter mistake. And it, we, we have this culture of shame uh, toward other people. Um, and, 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 and God has taken away our shame in Jesus. So why would we shame other people? Noah, how are you going to show that person love if all you want to do is get together with him and tell him what's wrong with him? Well, and so, here's the thing is so many of us think that that's the definition of love. I have to show them the truth. And I think that that's a partial definition of love. And, and, and I think that sometimes, you know, love, First uh, Corinthians 13 even says it believes all things. So that means my posture toward that person who I think is uniquely wrong is I am believing and hoping that they're approaching that with grace and the best attitude, which should change my posture toward them. Mm-hmm. And I know you reference uh, Luke 15, uh, verse 1 in your book, where it says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And I love that. <laughs> I love that verse because it's all sinners all tax collectors approach him to listen to him. Our- yeah, you know, and in, 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 in the, the, the next verse says, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Right, right. <laughs> right. This man welcomes <laughs> sinners and eats with them. Right. And, and it's really interesting because I was just reading because I'm, I'm working on a series uh, for this fall because um, my, my day job, in addition to writing, I'm a pastor. So I'm working on a series and I'm, I'm going to teach through the, the miracle of the, um, the, the, the paralytic who was lowered through the roof. You know, his friends ripped Peter's, probably Peter's house's roof off and, and dropped his, their friend from Jesus, which is a funny enough story. And I've read that a million times. And I never realized until the last time I read it that the description in the verses before were that, and this is early in Jesus's ministry, that all the religious leaders and scribes from all of the towns around Galilee, Judea, and even from Jerusalem that said were there. 
So what that meant was the early audience that was crowding around Jesus were the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were the ones that were there firsthand seeing all these miracles and teachings at the beginning. They were the early audience. And by the time you get into Luke 15, they had had enough of Jesus. And so what you've got is these really religious guys who miss the entire point of what Jesus is doing, right? And, And I think that the warning to me is I think that we, especially as evangelical Christians, probably have more in common with the Pharisees than the the guys letting the paralytic down from the roof. If we're really honest with ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, we get irritated when Jesus really, really offers grace to the really despicable people. Yeah. I wonder, Noel, if I love someone enough and care about them enough to rip tiles off the roof of some stranger's house. Well, exactly. I mean, and and what what was <laughs> the whole story is hysterical. But what's going through their head when they get there? And, and imagine this: they're they're everyday guys dragging their buddy along, and they get to a a house that is filled with religious leaders. Now, think about that. It's like showing up at a house, and all you see is cleric collars and rabbis <laughs> covering it. Just it's all religious guys. And and you're like, ah, this is important enough. I right. love my friend enough right. to do all of this to get him to Jesus. Right. All right, Noel, let me take a little break. Noel Heikkinen is my guest. The book we're chatting about is uh, called Wretched Saints, Transformed by the Relentless Grace of God. We'll take 90 seconds. Be right back. I guess he's the primary preaching pastor at Riverview Church in the Lansing, Michigan area. And he's written a book called Wretched Saints, Transformed by the Relentless Grace of God. Uh, Noel, uh, there's so many things I have underlined in your book. And I'm, I would love for you to just comment on the section where you talk about uh, feel, think, and believe. Yeah, you know, um, I think that we are naturally, most of us, um, either um, thinking people or feeling people. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is we have this tendency to let either our thoughts or our feelings be the barometer of our truth and really the arbiter of our truth. Mm -hmm. And so if you tend to be kind of a thinking person, um, what happens is um, what you think um, becomes the trump card over Scripture. Um, if you're a feeling person, what you feel becomes a trump card over Scripture. In fact, I can't tell you how often I sit down with followers of Jesus, you know, just great people from our church. And when they sit down in front of me, it's often I'm sitting with a, a married couple, one's a thinking person, one's a feeling person, because that's who they marry. Um, and um, the, the conversation, I try to bring it back to the Word of God, and yet they can't see the words on the paper except through their thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And um, what's really interesting is, and again, this is a step beyond the book. This is where I am right now. I just recently, I've been thinking a lot about our hearts 
and how from a scriptural standpoint, our heart is not just our emotions, but it's the seat of both our thoughts and our feelings. And I went through, and it took me about five and a half hours. I did it straight. I read every Bible verse in the Bible that had the word heart in it. And it is all about our thoughts, and it's all about our feelings. It's about both. And and it's about our will, and it's about our decision-making. And I, I began to get this just impressed on me how much— that's why God talks about our hearts so much, because rather than having our thoughts and feelings drive our theology, he would like our theology to drive our heart and then turn our thoughts and feelings. And so I think that there's something new in that that I'm playing with, that I'm, I'm wondering what, what God's going to teach me out of all of this. But um, yeah, I, I, I'll just stop talking there, and you may respond. <laughs> well, I, I, I realized I was rambling. No, you never ramble, No, I was talking to a guy at the gym— the other day, I was having a first-time conversation with him, and we, we got instantly on the subject of God, and he said, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe that he's at all involved with us today in any capacity, because otherwise, why would a five-year-old get cancer? Otherwise, why would there be all the difficulty and suffering? And I said, well, if God didn't exist, would bad things still happen on this earth? And of course, that created a little bit of a pause. But we start with our thoughts and our feelings before we have our belief in what Scripture teaches, before we place our faith and trust in Christ. Don't we start uh, with thoughts and feelings? I do think we we start with thoughts and feelings, and I'm not saying that our thoughts and our feelings are necessarily a bad thing, but from a scriptural standpoint, when you kind of look at, again, using the heart as the idea— our conscience is bound up in our heart too. So there are times where our thoughts and our feelings um, lead us astray. Uh, J.D. Greer, uh, um, pastor, uh, who I believe right now is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he um, famously tweeted once, um, your heart is an emotional idiot. And I think what happens (laughs) is our thoughts and our feelings um, are tainted by sin in the same way, um, in, a, in a way that we normally don't give our thoughts and feelings credit for. And so our, our thoughts and our feelings don't often naturally seek after God, which is the beauty of the grace of God is that he changes our hearts and he changes our thoughts and changes our feelings. So I do think we start that way. What happens is it becomes really scary for us um, because when Scripture tells us something that is conflicts with our feelings and our thoughts, um, it is hard for us to believe those things. We too. So your friend there says, I can't believe in a God because terrible, awful things happen in this world. And, and it's, it's hard to believe that there could be a God, so we'd rather believe that there isn't a God. But what we have is, is a God who so knows that there, um, there's evil in this world that he sent his son to have his son have terrible, awful things happen to him. To, In the words of Isaiah, to be beaten to the point that he was scarcely recognizable as human. We don't think about Jesus hanging on the cross like that. He was beaten so badly, you couldn't even recognize him as human. Um, and so we have a God that sent his son that way, so he knows the pain of seeing a beloved person who didn't deserve it, 
um, goes through that sort of pain and suffering. And, and, and so we have to get to a point where our, we can believe that and allow our, our feelings and thoughts to be transformed. No, even when you use that description that he was beaten to the point where he didn't even look human, I want to just hit pause on the program so we can all just burst into tears. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think before we had um, TV and movies that were so realistic about, you know, and violently realistic, um, I, I don't, I think we were more sensitive to that idea. But it, it, at the risk of calling something super negative to mind, think about some movie or TV show you've seen recently where someone was beaten to that level was, and, and all swollen and bloody and all that. We, we now have those images. In a sense, we're desensitized, but then project that onto the Son of God that he actually was that. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to him. Yeah. That's how he was scourged. Okay, we have three minutes left, so let's jump into this. As a Christian, what you are called to do always flows from what Jesus has already done. That's right. Every and, 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 and you have to read the Scripture this way, because if you don't read the Scripture this way, what you end up doing is you naturally take the, the pressure and the onus of saving yourself and making your life great onto yourself. But everything... Um, that you do in your life flows um, from what Jesus has already done. So, like, for instance, one of my, my favorite passages is, is that passage in James twelve fourteen, which is the one that's thrown at people like me all the time, which basically says, what good is it if someone says he has faith but he doesn't work? Can that faith save him? Faith without works is dead. It's that famous passage in James. But literally, the two verses before that say, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to those who have not shown mercy. Mercy trans over judgment. In other words, Jesus has already set you free, and because Jesus has set you free, you can now have works. You don't have works to earn that freedom, and that's that's the grace of God. Um, there's nothing that you can, uh, Larry Osborne uh, famously has said, um, because of Jesus, um, there is no one for you to impress um, he has one other half of that phrase, which I forgot. But basically, there's no one for you to impress. There's nothing more for you to do because of what Jesus has done. And ironically, that means we can do stuff now. Right, right. Noel, I just like hanging out with you. I like hanging out with you too, Bill. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, we've got a minute left, so let's let's enjoy this uh, line that Brennan Manning gave us. Uh, he said, God has a single relentless stance towards us. He loves us. Amen. That's from Ragamuffin Gospel. Yeah. That was a book that rocked my world in college. Yeah, I did an event once with Brennan, and I got a chance to meet him, and it was really, really cool. Uh, yeah. I look forward to meeting him in glory someday. Yeah, no kidding. Noel, thanks so much for doing the show. Look forward to the next time we get a chance to chat. That was great to talk to you, Bill. Yep. Noel Heikkinen's been my guest. His book is called Wretched Saints, Transformed by the Relentless Grace of God. We'll take a short break. And then when we come back, Dr. Michelle Watson's going to be with me.
Welcome back to the show. I'm awfully glad to have Dr. Michelle Watson in my studio. She's the founder of the AVA Project, and that's a group formed to help dads connect with their daughters' hearts. How cool is that? She uh, earned many degrees. She got her Ph.D. in health psychology. Uh, So she has got a full-time counseling practice and speaks about body image and faith and relationships. And uh, she also has her own radio show so called The Dad Whisperer. She lives in Portland, Oregon, and is uh, in town in my studio today. Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, This is really nice. And you've got relatives from my hometown, so I feel right at home. Yeah, and mom born here in Minnesota, so really... I have roots here. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah, and what I got to tell you, um, your book is real interesting, and I want to know what was the original motivation for it? Well, let's just state the obvious right here from the start. How unusual is it to have a woman speaking at men's conferences? That's pretty weird. Right? <laughs> yeah. Telling men yeah. what to do. It's right. like, we don't want women telling us what to do. And you mentioned my show, The Dad Whisperer, which I've had men say, we don't like women shouting at us. Right. And I say, somehow I'm able to whisper, thank you, God, in a way that doesn't feel offensive, but that feels like I'm allying with men, especially because I find that dads are very hungry to learn how to connect with their daughters because it's so different, right, than with guys. So the backstory, you were asking for that. I love backstories. Backstories, right? We love that on, you're from Mars, I'm from Venus. Whatever, yeah. (laughs) We we love the backstories on my planet. So, So it was about 10 years ago, December of 2009, I was reading in Luke 1 right? Luke 1, Luke 2, who doesn't read there in December? And I was reading about how Zechariah was told that his yet-to-be-born son, John, would help turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And I just heard God whisper out of the blue to me and say, Michelle, that's what I want you to do. And I was like, huh? You know, I'd been mentoring at that point teenage women, young adult women in different forums for about 40 years, 30 at the time, now 40, and thought, what? Turn the hearts of fathers. And you know how maybe you've had this experience, Bill, where when it's God's voice, it sticks with you? You know, so a couple days later, I was blow drying my hair and I just heard the name The Abba Project. Abba meaning daddy in Aramaic mm-hmm. and men love a project. Do I hear an amen? Well, amen. <laughs> okay. And so I'm like, okay, so I have this download from God, but I yeah. don't know what to do with it. And then the next month, January of 10, I wrote an email to 11 dads whose daughters were my clients at the time in their teens and their 20s, because that's when it gets a lot more complicated, right? Right. And I said, would you want to join me once a month for six months to see if there's a change in you, your daughter, or your relationship? And 10 of the 11 dads said, yeah, we're in. And then we ended up going a year. I just now graduated my 10th group. We do September to May now, nine Mm -hmm. months every year. And the book that I wrote came out of that. Dad, here's what I really need from you a guide for connecting with your daughter's heart. And then I'm here in town, actually, meeting with the team at Bethany House, where my second book is going to come out next summer of 2020 that's just called Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. Okay, dads are completely nuts about their little daughters as, you know, babies. But as they get older, do, do dads feel that they don't have the tools to talk to, to the daughters? Exactly. So for two main them? reasons. Okay. Usually they say, my daughter's more verbal, than I have a capacity for and more emotional than I have a capacity for. So here, mom, I'm going to turn this over to you. I'm going to sit this, you know, decade or this few years out <laughs> like, no. So that's really where I'm seeking to ally with the heart desire of men, because isn't it interesting that God commanded that the hearts of fathers turn right? Last verse of the old Testament. He doesn't say that the heads of fathers need to turn. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to a heart turn, 
I'm helping dads understand that that means softening your tone, dropping the anger, listening with both ears, actively listening, nodding, leaning forward, practical tools like that for what that means for us as girls to have our dads give us their heart attention. Mm-hmm. But haven't dads their whole life been the hero and the fixer and the rescuer and all that? Yes. So they're really, they've really gotten good at that role. Yeah, and yet I have found, again, in 10 years of working with men, that come adolescence, something happens where they can tell they're not the hero anymore. Their daughter's reacting to them, pushing back, you know, saying words that she's never said when she was younger or ignoring dad because her peers are more important. And a lot of dads get their feelings hurt. And they're smart enough to back up and back off. Mm -hmm. And yet, dads, if you look at the research... It confirms that when a daughter feels connected to her dad, okay, Bill, I'm going to put you on the spot. You're my, you're my expert man here, that you want to be the answerer for this one. Would you say that that sounds, the words feel connected, like a heart turn or a head turn kind of concept? Uh, feel connected, head or heart word? That's, um, let's see, to me? Yeah, You're putting you. me on the spot. Yeah, I'm putting you on the okay. spot. <laughs> um, I'd say that's a heart. Exactly. Yes. It's a heart word. Yes. So if the command is dads turn your heart and the research says that daughters who feel connected to their dads, that's a heart connection, is what has confirmed, the research has confirmed that daughters who feel connected to their dads, you want to just hear a few of the things because it's really, really profound that I think a lot of men don't know, is that your daughter will do better in school, get better grades. She's more likely to finish high school and attend college. She'll have greater self-esteem. She'll have less body dissatisfaction, lower suicide rates, less depression. Men will love this one. She'll delay having premarital sex, which means there's less STDs, unwanted pregnancies, more pro-social empathy. And look at I'm just telling you this off the top of my head. I could keep going, but right. need I say more? No, you've said Dads a lot. Dads matter. Boy, do they ever. This has got to get every dad's attention right now. Exactly. Yeah, and this uh, this should change the, the, the field for the ways in which men need to um, up their game a little bit. Right? Exactly. And exactly. you're the source to come to, it sounds like. Well, that's my joy. That's my hope. <laughs> yeah. So daughters seem to have a closer relationship with moms, right? Mm-hmm. And is, is it because the dads step away, or is it just because girls are girls? I think it's a little combination of both. So come adolescence, right? So here's girls where they don't know where they're at anyway, right? Hormones kick up, emotions kick up. There's all this estrogen surging through their bodies, right? Some people call it like juvenile puberty. It's like we don't even know as a girl, right, as a young woman, what's happening in our Mm -hmm. brain and our body. So it affects our thinking, our moods, our behavior. And so when dads approach their adolescent daughters and older and say, I can't figure you out. You don't make any sense to me. You have to tell me what you're meaning. We're like, I don't know. I can't tell you. So when it gets more complex for dads, that's again, like I was just telling you, Bill, I think sometimes they want to turn the reins over to mom. Mm -hmm. Here, you're a girl. You get it. And I've made an observation from my 10 years of traveling to Mars. Again, tell me if you agree or disagree. But it's that men would rather do nothing than do it wrong. What do you think? I think you're spot on with that. Right? They, so, yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't want to be a failure. They don't want to have that go on their permanent record. I really messed up. 
Yeah, exactly. So they do nothing sometimes. So they do nothing, exactly. And so I say to men, but you get that doing nothing is doing it wrong. And they'll say yes. Of course. But then what I say is, but I know you want to do it right. So I want to step in and equip you so that mom isn't doing all the heavy lifting because a lot of moms are exhausted. And they're saying to me, I wish my husband would do more or I hear my daughter crying because either her dad's hurt her or missed her. And so I hear a lot of moms saying, I want dad to step up. Dad's saying, I don't know how to step up. And again, that's where in the work that I do with dads, I want to equip them to be the hero they want to be and that their daughter needs them to be. Mm -hmm. This is kind of one of those questions out of the blue, but I'm just thinking about dads and dads know that when they're boys, I've got the raging little testosterone and they're fighting. Dad can break up a fight and and say, you nip it in the bud. You stop that, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if girls are having the equivalent of the um, emotional fight, uh, can they step in and say the same thing? No. Knock it off. No. Because then a daughter is like, why are you being so mean? And he's thinking, because you were just yelling. <laughs> so I'm going to try to trump your escalation. Mm-hmm. And I know it seems counterintuitive, dads, but the truth is if you soften your tone, you lead by example. And you're right that men tend to step up to the plate when they're given a charge or a challenge or a command. But when a daughter hears that same tone from dad, it crushes her spirit most of the time. So I say, dad, lead with vulnerability. Lead in the way you want her to go. So if you respond softly, you have a better chance of her softening. In fact, let me give a practical truth to dads. Is two weeks ago, I spoke at a men's conference in Andalusia, Alabama. And a dad just sent me a video from a couple, like a week later and said, it worked, Dr. Michelle. I can't believe this. He said, you were right. My girls, he has four daughters, were having a fight in the car and it was on my, I'd have my, you know, I was up to here. Like one, two, many voices in this Mm -hmm. intensity. And so a lot of dads will do the shouting, knock it off. I've had enough. But he goes, I did what you said. You said it takes 20 minutes for a midbrain, that's our emotional center, to calm down, right? For our frontal lobe, which is where we think and reason and have judgment, will come back online. So he said, I tried something because you said it takes 20 minutes. And all I said was, can we just be quiet right now? Everybody, silence. And he said, I can't believe it worked. By the time we got home, it was like the storm passed. Mm -hmm. See, again, he was proud of himself for leading differently, but he never knew that. Important fact before. Michelle, because he used a tool that you helped find in his toolbox and he used it. Exactly. And he liked it. Exactly. Yeah. So um, your book, it it may seem, uh, as I page through it, that it's dealing with older daughters, but that's really not necessarily the case, is it? You need to start young, don't you? Yes, absolutely. You need to start young. And so most dads that I know, that I've talked with, say, I started young. It was easy. You know, I could run or I could get home and she would run to me, throw her arms around my neck and kiss my face. And it was all good. And I could kiss her boo-boo. And in one minute, it would be all better. And they're like, what happens once she starts to hit pre-adolescence, you know, which is starting earlier, a lot of girls around 10, 11 anymore, all the moods, all the behaviors start kicking in. And then dads say, I want to kind of overpower your reactivity by dominating that. I can't be soft anymore because what you're doing is leading me to get my buttons pushed. I'm saying, dad, here's another practical thing. 
Do you remember giving your kids a timeout when they were little? And what experts say is like, if she's three or he's three, give three minutes for a timeout. Five years old, give five minutes. Have you ever heard that one? I haven't. Right? So it's yeah. like match the timeout for them to calm down with how many you know, how many years they are old. And I say, dads, what if you use that same principle? Okay, so you're 50. You need a 50-minute timeout before you come back to her. (laughs) You've got to calm down your Mm midbrain. And I'm telling you, you will never, ever find that it's a bad choice to walk away once you're activated and come back later. Is that practical enough for dads? That's very practical. I'm looking at Chapter 6 in your book, and you have this entitled Thinking Backwards. And this is a, a pretty poignant moment in your in your book. It says, at the end of my life, if my daughter had only one thing to say about me, I'd want it to be fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. I give that question every year when I start the ABBA project the first month. And I say, dads, go to the end of your life. Imagine yourself there. What do you want your kids to say about you? And I think a lot of dads in my group have said things like, I want her to know I loved her. I wanted her to know I was always there, those kinds of broad Mm -hmm. general strokes. And I say, awesome, but I encourage you to make it more specific. Mm. Here's a couple of things a dad wants to hear. There isn't anything he wouldn't do or give for me, even at a cost to himself. I never doubted his love for me. I knew he adored me. He loved the Lord with all his heart and soul, and he loved me in the same way. And those are direct quotes from dads who have said, that's what I want her to say. So I call that thinking backwards because if you think to the end of your life, and I say dads who are listening right now, Bill's giving you the challenge. Fill in that blank. If my daughter had to say one thing about me at the end of my life, I'd want it to be, and then write that down on a card and put it out in front somewhere where you can see it every day because it will shape the way you respond to, to your kids, boys and girls, every single day. Mm-hmm. All right, Dr. Michelle Watson's in studio. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, uh, lots more with her. She's written a book called Dad, Here's What I Really Need From You. If you have a question for Michelle, let us know what it is. You can uh, text me at 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Any question you'd like to ask her, we will get that question answered. Be back in 90 seconds. some good piano playing. Awfully glad to have Dr. Michelle Watson in my studio. She's the founder of the ABBA Project. ABBA? ABBA? ABBA. ABBA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's written a book called Dad, Here's What I Really Need From You, A Guide for Connecting with Your Daughter's Heart. This is a pretty important work you've done, Michelle. Um, And I know men are kind of sitting there thinking, uh, what are the tools? Are there some tools you can give me to get me started on this guide to connecting better with my daughter's heart? Yes, 
That's my one-word answer. Men okay, are always good. say, get to the point already. Well, we kind of do, don't we? Yep. And yep. then they say, number two, tell me how to fix it. <laughs> I yep. will help you. So okay. here's a couple tools, dads, that you can put into your fathering toolbox that work like a charm with girls. And based on the feedback I've gotten over the last decade, I will first of all give you men's favorite tools. Does that sound good? Yeah. They're favorites. They're yeah. top two. In my book, I've got 15, but I'm going to give you the top couple ones that work every single time like a charm. In fact, I would ask any of you, how many of you are married or have been married or dated a woman who's a daughter? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So pretty much across the board, every man can use what I'm saying with any woman in his life. Does that sound good? Totally. This this is beyond just a dad-daughter relationship. So here it is a two-word tool, and it's simply to use the two words, I'm wondering, and to put that in front of a sentence that you want to ask your daughter. So I know the experts say that men speak 7,000 words a day and women speak 20,000 words a day, almost three to one. Mm-hmm. So a two-word tool is definitely something that, right, men are from Mars, is more Martian. It's mm-hmm. really quick, it's to the point, and it's effective. So let me tell you a story that illustrates this. So I have this dad, Andy, who comes to the ABBA Project who says, Dr. Michelle, what do I do? My 17-year-old daughter, Megan, she is skipping school, senior year of high school. She hates school. And I go in and I'm like, why didn't you go to school today? He said, either the wall goes up, she says nothing to me, ignores me, which really pushes my buttons, or she starts biting my head off. And he goes, I can't seem to win for losing. What do I do? And I said, okay, Andy, I want you to put put the same question out there, but put two words in front of it, I'm wondering. So then it was, I'm wondering why didn't you go to school today? Same exact words with I'm wondering in front. He asked Megan that question and she said, oh, well, we had an early release today. And so I came and he was like, what just happened? You know what? I told him, I know your tone softened. It had to have because you were coming with inquiry and curiosity rather than a demand and a command. All you did was put two words in front And hello, you were the hero. And no judgment. And no judgment. Exactly. So dads sometimes don't realize that, I love how you said earlier, Bill, they'll say to boys like, hey, step up, kick it in gear. Mm -hmm. And that same exact wording doesn't always work because the tone is too harsh or abrupt or edgy. But dads, I'm like, try it with the women in your lives. I'm telling you, you come home. Hey, I'm wondering why you didn't make your bed because you said you would. Sounds really different than why didn't you make your bed? Mm Mm-hmm. Really different. So, men, I guarantee that two-word tool will work with all the women in your lives, mm-hmm. even your sons. Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. It invites them into a discussion, doesn't it? Bingo. Yeah. You just took the words out of my mouth. Okay. Yes, well, it good. opens up a conversation. Yeah. Want I, another one? Uh, yeah, I do. You want another tool? Yeah. Okay. I got a big toolbox here. Let's just put tools in it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I actually do have a big red toolbox okay. that, I, that I put pull these out of. So here's another one. It's called question to learn. Question to learn. So this tool is based out of a story where when I was getting my doctorate, the author of a book called Learn to Question, Questioning to Learn, had us break up in groups of about four or five. And she put a picture on the screen and said, all I want you to do is ask questions about what you see upon the screen. And it was so interesting what happened because instead of making an observation like, you know, why is that cat black? It would be, or it wouldn't be a statement, the cat is black. It would be, 
I wonder why the cat has those stripes or I wonder why that cat is turned in that direction. And we would all go, oh, yeah, that is interesting. And something awakened in all of us as we found that the conversation kept going instead of a statement, there was a question. So dads, here's how it works. And I'm going to use you, Bill, as my demo. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So I pick you up from school. Okay, now you're a teenage girl. And I'm like, hi, hon, how was your day? I was all right. Exactly. Now dads will go, cool. You had an all right day. So you go home and your wife goes, hey, how was her day? And you go, it was all right. Yeah. Okay. That is a non-answer answer on Venus, the planet I live on. Or if we say fine. There's no information there. No. That's our throwaway answer. Right. And for guys, they might be pacified with that. They usually are. Yeah. Because what I have found is that men will say to themselves, if she had more to say, she would have told me. (laughs) (laughs) Or... Michelle, you might say, how good was dad at extracting today's information from her? Bingo. There you go. That's the second point I wanted to make is on my planet of Venus, we think if you cared more, you would have asked more or, like you said, extracted the information out of us. Yeah, or been more skillful at getting it. Okay. Right? So now I'm going to add to the skill set for men. Okay. Because I think sometimes dads work way too hard. I'm going to give you a really easy tool for how you can question to learn, ask questions to learn. So when she says, my day was all right, all you have to do is use the same words that she just gave you and put a question with it. So you say, what about your day was all right? Then she might say, well, you remember that guy Austin in choir? Like, it was so crazy because, like, today he looked at me. And you're like, okay, I don't know what to ask next. Right. So I say, use the keyword in the sentence or the last part of the sentence. If she talked way too long and you're lost like a deer in headlights, use the very last thing she said to ask a follow-up. But in that sense, you might say, oh, Austin, that was the key word. Tell me more about Austin. Dad, you remember he's the guy who, you know, was like so cute and he's so hot and he's a quarterback on the football team. And like when he looked at me today, everybody looked at me and I was totally dying because my face turned red and everybody looked and you're like, oh my goodness, that was a lot of words. But maybe she ends with, and then everyone looked at me and my face turned red. Mm -hmm. So you say... What was that like when yeah. your face turned red and everybody was looking at you? How did you feel? Did you, were you embarrassed? Uh-huh. So you just use what she gave you, and she'll know you're listening because you used her words back to her in a sentence. And I find sometimes dads will go, oh, cool, and then go, so how was lunch? Mm-hmm. But you jump over to another topic And you worked way too hard. You had to think of something else. So you don't even really have to think all that hard other than you have to listen hard and use her words back to her. And that's how you question to learn. What do you think? You think of that work for men? I'm sure it would, but that would take a risk on men's part as well. Ah, Say more. Uh, I'm just saying, yeah, you become vulnerable when you say, tell me more about that. Vulnerable in what way? I'm intrigued by your insight. Well, don't be. Uh, <laughs> um, Hashtag intriguing yeah. thoughts by I'm Bill just, I'm just saying if, if the dads and daughters don't have um, a pattern of having these conversations, to start doing this mm-hmm. is going to be vulnerable for men. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why really my goal is to equip dads to feel more competent because then it builds their confidence mm-hmm. when they go, okay, I've got a tool. I'm going to put it into action. I've got this. Okay, I'm going to go try this. And then they tend to want to write me either on my website, which is just drmichellewatson.com, and say either I've got a question for you, it didn't work, or I need to adjust it, or I find a lot of them want me to be proud of them for doing it right. (laughs) That's so like guys, isn't it? Yep.
I yeah. love it. Yeah, look what I did. It yeah. all worked out. Yeah, look I, at what I did right. Yeah. Because truthfully, I think a lot of men really have been beat up either in our culture, in the media, deadbeat dads, that kind of thing. Or I have a lot of men that literally begin crying to me. This mm-hmm. was even two weeks ago saying, because of divorce, I feel like... You know, my ex-wife is saying things about me that aren't true and turning my daughters away from me. And men's hearts are bleeding a lot of times. And really my desire is to honor them, equip them, encourage them, cheer them on when they do it right. Make amends when you've done it wrong and, and step up to the plate because your daughters are dying for more of you. I believe that, Michelle. But I, I also say men are going to be afraid of appearing phony. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you, if you say, if I say, how was your day? And you say, my day was pretty good. And I said to you, Michelle, what I'm hearing you say is that your day was pretty good. Instantly, you're going to go, what happened to you? You know what? I love that you use those words because in my field, right? So yeah. I've been in the field of psychology yeah. 22 years. And that whole what I hear you saying yeah. is stuff. Yeah. Cut it out. Oh, I don't you. even say that. That's way too fake. <laughs> Prescribed. I'm with you. All right. Dr. Michelle Watson's in studio. Her book is called Dad. Here's what I really need from you. A guide for connecting with your daughter's heart. If you have a question for her, let us know what it is. Send us a text at 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.